Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Glad that you are all here this morning. Thanks for being here, whether you're worshiping online or worshiping in person. I'll tell you what, first service, we had all sorts of technical difficulties. The people in the room didn't notice it, but people online, there were technical difficulties, and um, they asked me if it was distracting because the people back in the sound booth were running around back and forth and talking, and I said, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how distracted I could be by that movement. So I'm glad that, yeah, Larry's going to dance back there for me now. Um, now you're all going to watch for Larry dancing back there. You know, I'm not going to be very popular here for a minute. Here in a couple of weeks, school starts. Teachers, students, I know you're not looking forward to that, are you? Getting back into the swing of school. My buddy Mitch Stokey leaves on Tuesday. My last Sunday with Mitch Stokey here in church, I told him as he came in, I said, there's a couple of tears in my eyes that little Mitch Stokey is going away to college. But, um, you know, this time of year, it always is one of those times where people begin to jockey for their positions. In the state of Ohio, um, all of the sports practices started this past week. You know, the sports teams, they are trying to put their best foot forward. They're all trying to participate. They're all trying to position themselves to be in the right place in the polls. The players, they want to win the starting positions, don't they? So they're working hard out there on the field trying to get it. Fans, we're about to get our tickets in the mail and we're going to try to call up and say, can I move a little bit closer to the 50-yard line this year? We want our best seats that we can possibly have. The cheerleaders, if you go past the stadium this week, you're going to see the cheerleaders, the dance team. They're all out there practicing, putting their best foot forward. The bands, they're out making sure that everything is just right. Human nature is that we always try to find the best place and be in the best position for ourselves. We're continuing our study of some of the parables of Jesus today. And we come to a unique parable at the end of chapter 18 of the book of Matthew. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's a parable all about forgiveness and making sure that we forgive as God has called us to. But to really accurately understand chapter 18 uh, parable, we have to understand what Jesus was talking about from the very beginning of his little paragraph that he has with the disciples. We're going to just kind of march through the book, the whole chapter of Matthew 18 today, because I think what really begins to happen leads up to where Jesus is in this parable. He gives little vignettes to the disciples and just kind of momentary parables, thoughts, 
illustrations about how they need to change their perspective. We need to understand what is taking place in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is walking back to Capernaum with his disciples. The disciples and Jesus had just been to the Mount of Transfiguration. One of those unique moments in Jesus' life where Jesus sets apart with his disciples and explains to them in graphic form who he is. And not only Jesus, but angels and God speaks about who Jesus is. And you would think that the disciples would be talking back and forth about what they saw. Well, I think in some ways maybe they were, but their egos were getting in the way. Because what the disciples are talking about back and forth amongst one another as they're making their way back to Capernaum is not about the wonderful example of Jesus' messiahship that they saw before their very eyes. They're talking back and forth with one another of, well, who's closer to Jesus? Who is in the right position with Jesus right now. Now, I think they were trying to figure it out based on, they wanted to make sure that, you know, if Jesus is God, who, they, who he says he is, that they're in the right place. But they're more concerned about their position than about what Jesus is teaching them. One of my professors from Bible college, a man by the name of Mark Moore, in a uh, book that he wrote about the um, about the first four books of the Bible of the New Testament, the Gospels, he said these words about this text. He said, "We're shocked that the future leaders of the church would act so unchristian." I want to pause and I want to say, "Really?" Because we still do that today, don't we? We bicker back and forth. Well, are, are we doing the right thing? Is our church the best church? How can we do this better and those kind of things? Mark Moore says, but this is only the first of three times they have this argument. What makes matters worse is that each time it follows on the heels of significant predictions of Jesus' suffering. So while Jesus is talking about laying down his life, these guys, they are promoting theirs doesn't sound that unfamiliar, does it? We get so consumed by finding our positions that we forget that we are called to be positioned for God. We jockey to be the best, the best place, the first position. I want to give you the sermon in a nutshell. And they just kind of use Jesus' words to illustrate what I believe Jesus was talking about. I think Jesus, in each of these little vignettes, in each of these little moments of discussions with his disciples, and if I could say even more stringent with us, the readers, some 2,000 years later, Jesus tries to teach that greatness in the kingdom of God is not determined by one person's social clout or position, but rather 
it's determined by childlike humility and forgiveness. God wants us to recognize that we are called to love Him first. It's that motto we have talked about for the last three weeks here at church, to love God, but then we are called to love people, to truly love people by putting them in the right place, not us, and by learning that we are called to forgive from the heart. Not mere words of forgiveness, but true forgiveness of the heart. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. It's going to be on the screen, but I always like for you to look at it in the Scripture. Here's what is said in this text. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child to him and placed the child among them. He said, Truly I tell you, unless you become like one of these little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom. The question of greatness is one that becomes more and more important to the disciples as they draw closer to God. I think this idea is that they are trying to find their place in the pecking order, their status to determine their ranks with Jesus. They're struggling with an ego problem. Ego in Jesus' day was just as apparent and just as big of a problem as it is today. But what I like about this text is Jesus tells his disciples that they need to become like a little child. Now, if you understand Greek, which I don't understand Greek, but I can at least look at some of the commentaries and figure some things out, Jesus uses a unique word for little children in this text. It's the same Greek word that is used for servants. Unless you decide to become a servant to others, God is calling his disciples to find vulnerability, to find helplessness, to find an utter dependency upon him, to be like that, to be his children. Jesus tells them that they need to not just be like a child, but they need to humble themselves and put God first and foremost in everything. It's not about our stature. It's not about our status. It's about God's status in our life. If we want to be his follower, the very first thing we need to recognize is that it's about putting God first and foremost in all that we do. Jesus goes on to say, beginning in verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones and those, those who believe to stop, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their necks and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. 
If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. Now understand, Jesus is using some hyperbole here. We're going to see that throughout the course of this text. But it begins by understanding that God is calling us to be vulnerable and be concerned with other people. In many ways, this reminds me of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus taught the people that the kingdom of God deserves preeminence in our lives. And sometimes, following God's way and doing things God's way is different than what the world says we should do. You see, we should be more concerned about what God thinks of us than what the world thinks of us. I don't know, but I think our culture today makes us lose sight of that. We seem to think that it's important what people think. We try to promote ourselves in ways so that people will think highly of us. And what God says is, we need to be vulnerable to Him, and we need to find our place in Him. I'm one of those word geeks sometimes. Again, I think it's an interesting note. Jesus uses the word hell in this passage, talks about what it's going to be like if you cause people to stumble because you put yourself first above somebody else. And he says that it's going to be thrown into the fires of hell. The word that Jesus uses in this text is a word called Gehenna. Gehenna was an actual place. It wasn't just a word, it was a place that the readers and the hearers of this message would have known about. Back in the Old Testament days, Gehenna was, on the, was in a valley south of Jerusalem. Gehenna was known as the center of idol worship. It was a place where human sacrifices took place for idols. Josiah, who was a king... He was a young king. He came, to, he came to be king at a very young age as a child. And he was one of those kings that was good sometimes and bad sometimes. He just couldn't make up his mind where he was going to fit into that spectrum of the good kings and the bad kings of that day and age. But King Josiah made a good decision. He made Gehenna the dump for Jerusalem. It was the place where they brought all of their trash, they brought all of their um, animal carcasses that had died, and they threw them there, and they lit them on fire. Now, I know we're getting close to lunch, and it's going to get a little gross for just a second, because Gehenna was also the place where all of the waste for the city, they didn't have to flush the toilet but when they carried out their waste, they also took it to Gehenna, and they threw it on the fire. Can you imagine the stench that was around there? What that smelled like? Trash, the flesh of 
decaying animals and all the other decay that was around there. That was what Jesus gave the illustration for hell to be like. Not only would the people in Jesus' day have known where that was, but they probably began to think about the stench and how nobody wanted to go there. You know, take out the trash had new meaning in Jesus' day to take it to Gehenna. They didn't want to go there. That's what Jesus said. We were up against if we didn't love God and love people. I got to speed up or we're not going to get through this. Jesus goes on to say it this way, beginning in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that there are angels and always to see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. God makes it very clear that he loves people. God is all about the business of seeking and finding the lost and the helpless. He is ecstatic when lost people come to know him. I remember years ago when I was a child, growing up in church, and I remember that um, when baptisms took place, you know, now I'm really dating myself. We sang the old hymn, Now I Belong to Jesus, after the person raised up into the baptistry. But then something else happened. People began to applaud because somebody had come to know Jesus. I think we have lost that excitement in our world today. We've lost the excitement of recognizing that when people turn to Christ, it's a wonderful, joyous thing. And it's something that God rejoices in. Maybe it's because we have lost the vision for people that we don't have the eyes of God any longer to love people like God loves people. Then he goes on to say these words. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, there are a lot of things that we could unpack about this. There are several sermons in this little paragraph. But I think the heart of Jesus' ultimate paragraph here 
is that we are called to have a shepherd-like approach to restoring relationships. In this day and age, when we have a problem with something, you know what we do? We air it out on social media. We air it out with anybody that will listen. We don't take the mindset of, if I have a problem with my brother, go to my brother and talk to them. We talk to everybody but them. The reality is so many problems could be addressed by just talking to the person that we have an issue with. We forget that step. We jump to telling everybody, and we think if we can get everybody else on our side, then that's going to change it. But what God is all about is reconciliation. Drawing people back to him and finding him. And then we come to this little parable that Jesus illustrates it all. I think he kind of wraps it up in a little bow. Love God, love people. But to love people, we have to be about the business of forgiveness. So Peter comes to him in verse 21 and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. I want to pause there for just a minute because we need to understand something. Again, Jesus is using some hyperbole in this text. This idea of 10,000 bags of gold, some versions call it 10,000 talents, that is the highest ability to talk about money in Jesus' day and age. There was no other word to talk about a huge sum of money. Some people say that in today's figure, we would be talking about billions or trillions of dollars that this man owes the king. It's, it's a sum of money that can't be repaid. You know, I could get political and say it's the national debt that's never going to go away. You know, it's just going to keep running up the totals. Over and over and over again, this man owes. And he looks at the king and he says, have mercy on me, and I love what the text says. He forgave the debt. But that's not the end of the parable. Because Jesus goes on. The master's servant took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But, one of the most important words in Scripture, but when that servant, who had just had trillions of dollars that he could never repay, canceled, when that servant went out, 
he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, saying, begging, be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now again, the hyperbole. This idea of a hundred coins of silver, some of the translations say a hundred denarii, this would have been equal to a hundred days wages. Now, let's be honest, that's a sum of money. That's a great sum of money. If you were told you have to give a hundred days of your work to somebody else, you would get a little twitchy. But it was a sum of money that could have been paid back. The man could have worked out a payment plan. It was not something that was undoable. But for the first servant that had had everything forgiven, a drop in the bucket to what he had owed, he wouldn't forgive that debt. Listen what happened in the end of the parable. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his ma master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I think Jesus, in this passage, truly understands human nature. It's one of those moments where Jesus lets us see a glimpse of his humanity. We are all about our self-pride. We're all about our self-rights. We're all about making sure that our things are taken care of. We're trying to position ourselves in just the right way and in just the right place. And Jesus hits these disciples between the eyes and I think he hits us between our eyes and lets us know that if there is conflict if there is struggle we have to learn to forgive rather than keeping track of the number of times that we forgive we are called to always forgive and always find reconciliation this is what God has done for us we have sinned against him. We have separated ourselves from God, and God has chosen to forgive us. Yet we bicker back and forth about things that are insignificant. I wonder, what are you holding on to today? What are you not forgiving? Maybe it is someone Maybe it is something. But what is the stumbling block between you and your right relationship with God? Maybe we need to go back 
to Bible days and understand what it means to take a lowly position. To release ourselves from the confines of the anger and the resentment and to learn to embrace God and find peace in Him. I think God is calling the church today to let go and to let God take control. We have for generations tried to do it on our own and we have found that we can't. But God can. When we let go and we let God, when we release our egos, God can change our hearts. As we begin this new journey of this new season, as school begins to come into play here in the next few weeks, as kids begin to leave for college, as changes are beginning to be made, let's make the greatest change. Let's take and release the hold of the things that strangle us. Let's forgive those around us. And let's accept the forgiveness that God gives. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your heart of forgiveness. Father, I'm thankful that all of the dirt and the muck and the hurt that is found in my life and that I have given to others, you have forgiven. Father, I pray that you will help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. Father, help me to recognize that the greatest gift was found in Jesus. And all you ask for me is to love you and love people in return. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.